Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Listen, several weeks ago, and some of you guys may or may not have been here, but I actually shared a sermon called The Expression of Praise. Now, if you remember, the reason I decided to share that sermon was simply because of this. is because over the last year, we know that, that the people that make up our church family has greatly changed. In other words, when COVID happened, there was a, a, an outflux and there was an influx. Uh, but the, the really unique thing that happened when that took place is this, is that God actually uh, brought in people who have a variety of backgrounds and a variety of church experiences. Now, how many of you guys know when you get a variety of people together, it definitely makes things unique? And, and what I mean by that is when you, when you bring people in a room that some maybe have a Catholic background, some may have a more of a Calvinistic background or a Baptist background or a Pentecostal background or charismatic background, that becomes a really interesting mix in a room, right? And then you take in the people who are just coming out of curiosity or the people who have been hurt by the church and they're maybe coming in and they got some walls up to kind of protect themselves from getting hurt again. Anyways, my point is, is you bring all that together and it really gets interesting. Interesting. And, and because it gets interesting, what I've learned is this. Let me, let me back up. When you have people that have had those kind of experiences, what that typically means is this, is that people tend to view God based on their experience, and they tend to interact with God based off of their experience. In other words, they engage with Him, okay? And so basically because of that, I felt like there was a need to go, okay, let's, let's preach a culture-setting message so I can say, you know what, it's great where we've been, we can build on those things, but man, as this house, this is the way we operate with God. This is the culture that we have here as a church, right? And so anyways, due to that change, I just want to say this today, and I really feel compelled to communicate to those who are newer to the church family, but also I feel equally compelled to communicate to those who have been here a while that you need to be reminded that this church, cultural statement, that we are a church that values the presence of God. Okay, listen, that when we say the anchor church, you know, listen, we're not in competition with anyone, but I could say is, you know, for us that want to honor God, man, in this place that we desire for the presence of God to be one of the things that defines and characterizes who we are as a church. Amen? Amen. So listen, because of that desire, I cannot stress to you enough that it is impossible for our church to engage and to enjoy the presence of God if we do not have an authentic and if we do not have a biblical expression of praise and a genuine expression of worship that naturally flows out of our hearts when we gather. The bottom line is, is there's, there's this uh, reality with God. When we begin to love on Him, man, He can't stay away. Because the Bible says those who draw near to Him, He draws near to them, right? There's this exchange that happens. And so a lot of times when we come to church, if we're not willing to draw near to Him, guess what? He's not going to draw near to us. There's a promise that He has set in place. Am I making sense to you? So listen, so because of that, we, just, we said, you know, we're going to make some cultural setting sermons. We're going to preach them, and we hope it lands in our hearts, and uh, so it produces the fruit that we want to see as a church. Amen? So I want to give you one of those today. So if you're taking notes, today's sermon is simply titled, The Expression of Worship. 
And I want to start actually where a portion of scripture where Jesus himself began to talk about worship. And we know this is in John chapter 4, and it's where he encountered a Gentile woman who was a Samaritan. And he actually, after he basically said that he was the living water, and then he said, look, uh, you know, I, I know, I know your life. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. It kind of goes like this. And then this, the conversation turned to worship, okay? And that's where I want to land, and that's where we're going to start reading. It says this in verse 19. Says the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. In other words, okay, if I'm going to engage with God, where do I need to go worship? Is it over there? Or is it over here? I'm confused. And then it goes on to say this it says that Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour coming, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem worship the Father. In other words, all that's going to be erased. And then it says in verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Then verse 25 says, the woman said, I know when the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I love that. Listen, the words I want to highlight out of this passage of scripture today to get going in what we're talking about, our culture setting message here is simply verse 23, where Jesus says, the father is currently looking and he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, please notice today that Jesus didn't say that the father is looking for worship. He said he is looking for worshipers. There's a huge difference, right? Meaning this, guys, that God isn't visiting churches this morning. In fact, if you didn't even realize it, but He visited us this morning. And the truth is, is He wasn't looking for, uh, you know, beautiful singing. He wasn't in here looking for a certain style of music. He wasn't looking to see if we had the perfect song selection. He wasn't looking to see if everybody was on key or if the worship leaders were dressed really nice. No, 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 no. He was in here seeking and searching for men and women who desire to be worshipers. See, you see, if we realize or not, he is actively searching and looking for those who are freely pouring out their adoration and their love to him. That he is literally on the hunt. He is looking for those who are readily responding to his majesty. In other words, that there's those that can't help but to praise him because they're so grateful that they're born again. Right? That he's looking for those who have postured their hearts, not out of pride, not out of arrogance, not out of religiosity, but he's looking for those who have chosen to be transparent, sincere, and pure in their worship on and off the platform. Yes. In other words, the reason I'm saying that, I want to stress to you today, because so often we think there's, there's this divide. That's the worshipers, and we just worship. No, 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 no. When God's coming, He is looking to see if there's worshipers on the platform and off the platform because there's no difference. There's no distinction for Him. He's just looking for people that love Him and want to give Him everything they got. Amen? So listen, I don't know about you, but when I read John chapter 4, I can't help but to think, man, if I really believe that that passage is true, that God is looking for those who worship Him in spirit and truth, then just maybe, then just maybe you and I as believers who say that we love Him, maybe we should say, you know what, God, I want to be the type of person that you're longing for. I want to be the person that can be qualified or characterized as a worshiper. Does anybody agree with that today? 
So with that in mind, let's dive into God's Word. And my hope is today, I'm going to just throw out a few thoughts to you. It's kind of clanky, kind of messy, but I want to throw out a few thoughts to you and I hope they land because I just simply want us to see, do we have the heart of a worshiper today? So the first thing let's talk about is this. This comes from something that King David wrote in Psalm 37, verse 4. It's real short, five words. He simply said this, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, David is saying that true worshipers are marked or characterized by those who what? Who find pleasure and enjoyment in worshiping their God. Right? In other words, they see her saying, you know what? That man, when you come to God, is it something that's drudgery or is it something that you can't wait to do? So let me kind of give you maybe an example today. It's kind of silly, but to show you maybe the difference of someone who delights in the Lord versus someone who views it as an obligation. And to do this, I'm going to need some help. So uh, I know you're not sitting together. We'll talk about that later. But, but Wes, can you and Erica come and stand up here today? I don't, I, I don't know why he's making his wife sit in the row behind him. I'm kidding. It's okay. They're good friends, so I can mess with them. All right, watch this. Let's say it's their anniversary. If you guys can, just turn and face one another. <laughs> it's going to get great. So watch this. Um, let's say it's their anniversary. And to celebrate, Wes decides to purchase her a dozen roses. But he doesn't stop there. It's a special day. He says, you know what? I'm going to buy her a new diamond necklace, and I'm going to get her some diamond earrings to match. And not only that, you know what, I really want to plan out a romantic evening. And so I've went ahead and I've got a reservation at the best restaurant in town for us to enjoy a time together. Now, what I wanted you to understand is, you know, she gets dressed up, he gets dressed up, she puts on the necklace of earrings, she's holding all that stuff. They, they're going through all that fun romantic stuff. And they go to the restaurant and they eat this meal, you know, listen, no expense, get whatever you want, right? And, and they eat and after they're sitting there, they're full, they've had great dessert. And right before the waiter brings the check, uh, you know, Erica basically looks at Wes and her, and her heart is full from everything that's happened in the night. And, and he says this, he says, man, she says, I have had such a great evening. Tonight has been special in every way, and I have to ask you, why did you decide to do this for me? And it's at this point he reaches across the table, which he's already there clearly, and he grabs her by the hand, right? And he takes her by the hand, and he simply says these amazing, well-thought-out words. He says, well, I've decided to do all of this after 20 years of marriage. Am I right with that? 20 years of marriage, I've decided that, you know, after all these years... I just felt like it was my duty to do these things for you. <laughs> you know, I really didn't want to get you those roses. I really didn't want to spend the money. We didn't really have the money to buy that diamond, you know, necklace and those diamond earrings. And, you know, the truth is, is this meal's going on the credit card because we really don't have the money. But, but man, I felt like I, I just had to do this to, uh, for you because, well, we've been married for 20 years. Ladies, how well do you think when he tells her those things, how well is the rest of the night going to go for my brother? <laughs> like, like whew, downhill, right? So you see, the words that he said, it is my duty to do these things for you, dishonored her and it produces negative results. Will we all agree? Will we all agree? So listen, for his sake, let's, let's hit the rewind button. Let's back up. Let's give him a new start, right? He, he needs a little grace, a little mercy right, hidden right now. But let's, so, so go all the way back. Once again, her heart's full, and she says, I have had such a great evening, Wes. Tonight has been special in every way, and I have to ask you, why did you decide to do this for me? And it's at this point, once again, Wes reaches across the table, and he 
takes her by the hand and he looks her straight in the eye and he says these amazing, well thought out words. He says, Erica, because after all these years, I wanted you to know that I still delight in you with all of my heart. I can't think of another thing or person in this world that makes me happier than when I'm with you. So I wanted to simply express how much I love you. Ladies, how well do you think the rest of the night is going to go for him? I know what y'all thinking. You see, the words, I delight in you, honors her. In other words, when he says, man, I cherish you and I want to do this for you, I delight in you. What it's saying is, is I value you, right? And you know what? When, we, when he begins to say, I delight in you, I value you, guess what? It produces positive results. Can we give these guys a hand real quick as they go back? <laughs> Next week, just sit together. It'll look better. <laughs> Church, I want you to know something this morning. I know that might be a really simple thing, but listen, listen, that even after all of these years, however long you've been walking with God, guess what, guys? God wants us to worship Him because we delight in Him, not because we feel like it's our duty or some obligation that we must do to perform because we're at church again. Am I making sense? That literally it's no different when it comes to God, that worship that is done out of obligation dishonors Him and it produces nothing positive. But worship, when it's done from a heart that's delighted in Him, a heart that's, that has joy, that's a joyful heart, right? It honors Him and it leads to these key things, true intimacy and true friendship with God. So with that in mind, I want to actually share something with you because we can all look at that and go, oh, that's a sweet, special moment. But, but I actually want us to see something that actually hinders us from delighting in Him. And the truth is, is I think every single one of us in this room, at some point or another, find ourselves falling into what I'm about to talk about. And so the unfortunate part is, though, is we don't just fall into it. We often fail to realize that we're falling into it. So let, let, me, let me say it this way. A few days ago, talking about the thing that hinders us from delighting in Him, a few days ago, I read a, a piece of a devotion, and I simply want to share it with you. It's by a lady named Darlene Check. If you've ever heard of her, she's one of the, probably one of the, the greatest worship leaders of our generation. But she said this. She says that she has flown a lot of miles in the past 20 years, so not surprisingly, uh, she takes things about that experience for granted. In other words, she lives in Australia. She also lived, I believe, in South Africa. So there was a lot of international flights going on as she, was, as she would minister. So she said this. For example, when the flight attendants give safety instructions, I find myself switching off. I've heard them so many times before and might be able to actually get on the intercom. I might actually be able to get on the intercom and recite them myself from memory. She says one particular flight was one of those long international flights that you had to prepare for. And even though I quite enjoyed them, it takes a toll on the body. She said this, to just kind of mentally prepare for the flight, a book to read, check, two books to read, check, a movie to watch, check, I was ready. She said once they got on the plane, there was actually a family with a little guy of about four years old sitting behind her. She said that she opened her book uh, and began to read so that the time would pass more swiftly. But as they thundered down the runway and they lifted off and started to climb, the little boy behind her got very excited and he said loudly, wow, daddy, I can see the whole world from up here. She said that brought a smile to her face. And she says, I, I wasn't the only one who put down what I was doing to take another look out the window. His exhilaration and enthusiasm over what was a new experience for him was contagious. In fact, I stopped what I was doing to take another look out the window. 
And then she said this, whole reason I'm reading it, what, and I'm talking about what hinders us from delighting in Him. She says this, human nature has a way of turning wonderful into ordinary over time. Just by getting used to the environment and we start to stop noticing the things that we used to be in awe about and somehow the beautiful becomes the boring. You see, there's this amazing portion of Scripture in the Gospels and it talks about when Jesus went to His hometown and it says that while He was there, He could only do a few miracles, little miracles. And the reason was is because people began to see Him as common. In other words, people began to take uh, what was once beautiful and they made it boring. They began to take what was once wonderful and they made it ordinary. Oh, that's just Jesus, right? And I think sometimes in church we can be guilty of the exact same thing. In other words, that we can come and we can, we can do what, you know, going back to the illustration with Weston a while ago, and we could just go, okay, well, I'm here again. It's another anniversary. It's another church service. It's just another routine. Let's go through it. Or is there something in our heart that says, man, I just keep catching new glimpses of you, Jesus, and I can't get enough. I'm so delighted in you. I'm seeing another facet of who you are. I'm learning more about you, man, and my heart is stirred all again. Am I making sense? So, so listen, I just think, man, like today, I, I can't judge where everybody is at, but I do want to ask you, when's the last time that you found yourself in awe of God's presence? Like, when's the last time that he made your heart say, wow, as you worshiped him? See, listen, if you're sitting here today and it's been a while, all I can just encourage you to do is this. If you're somehow like one of those passengers in the airplane that have somehow along the way uh, have allowed the wonderful of who God is to turn into the ordinary, or if you've allowed the beautiful of his presence to become the boring, then I urge you to ask the Lord to help you regain your wonder and your awe so that you can delight yourself in the Lord once again. So listen, with all that in mind, I think if you desire and if I desire to be a worshiper, the first thing God is looking for us to be is the type of worshiper who continually delights themselves in Him. Like, Lord, give us that. Is anybody with me or is it just me in here? Listen to this quote by A.W. Tozer. He said this, he said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. You know, I, I sat in worship this morning. In fact, it happened last service. And, and, and it's weird because sometimes, you know, while you're praying, you kind of like hear what people say. And, uh, and, and so I, like, I just heard somebody saying, well, you know, worship's just not my thing. And, you know, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that are Christians that think that. They think worship, that's just not my thing. It's too ooey-gooey. It's too whatever. And, and they just, uh, you know, I'm not really interested and I want you to know the foolishness of that statement because here's how foolish it is. It's like a Christian saying this. Well, you know that prayer thing, that's, that's not really my thing. Well, that Bible thing, that's not really my thing. You see, at the end of the day, we realize that God created us to fellowship with Him. And the three ways that He's given us to fellowship with Him is through the Word, is through worship, and is through prayer. And if you chop off one of those from your life, then what you're doing is, is you're chopping off a third of who God desires to reveal himself to you as. So once again, worship is a response to the living God for what he's done for us. Amen? And so if we don't have a response in our heart to God, and this may sound salty, but we might want to check to see where we're really at with him. Amen? 
So listen, I don't know about you, but I believe if we're going to become the type of person who continually delights ourselves in the Lord, this imperative that you and I actually fast forward to Revelation, we take a page out of what the angels are currently declaring as we speak, that maybe we should actually learn something from them. Because our Bible says, as it is in heaven, let it be where? On earth. On earth as it is in heaven, to quote Jesus, right? So look at Revelation chapter 4. Let's learn from heaven this morning. He says this, and and, uh, it says this in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Fast forward to chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. When you figure that out, you let me know. Verse 12 says, saying with a loud voice, what what is this multitude, this host of heaven saying? They're saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now listen, through these verses that are found in Revelation 4 and chapter 5, I want you to notice that God is addressed by those who surround the throne. Now this isn't people who are taking the first time glimpse. These are the ones that actually are continuously seeing God with unveiled eyes. These are the ones that are seeing Him continuously and they are constantly delighting in Him. And what's the one thing that they declare about Him? They say He is worthy. You see, the simple That simple yet repeated declaration, you are worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain, reveals to us the foundation of what you and I got to have in our hearts if we want to be worshipers. And it is this, that we understand that we get our English word worship from the Latin word that means worth-ship. See, when you actually look at that word and you look at the suffix of ship, it actually means the condition of. So when you look at that word and you go, okay, that actually means that that the condition of God is one of worth. Are you hearing me today? This means that when we turn our hearts to heaven in worship, when we lift our voices, when we sing, when we lift our hands, when we bow on our knees, we are doing more than singing some song to somehow make the worship team feel better about themselves. No, what we are doing is we are actually from our hearts declaring to Him how much we value Him, how much we believe He is worth in comparison to this world. Right, that we are telling him just as those in heaven that we recognize that he is worthy of all of our worship, that he is worthy to receive all glory and honor that we could ever give to him. And I just say this, man, if we really believe that, why do we hold it back? Amen? So the second thing God is looking for us to be is the type of worshiper who never forgets his worth. Who never forgets his worth. Now, if I can give you a thought here, in my opinion, one of the main things that hinders us from remembering God's worth is when you and I actually fall into the trap of, get this, of over-exaggerating our worth. Listen, we should know our worth. We should know our value as sons and daughters of God. But there's a healthy balance to that. And I think sometimes we as Christians, we we lean too heavy one way and we begin to over-exaggerate our worth in comparison to His worth. And when we fall into that trap of over-exaggerating our worth compared to His, that's a sure sign that we've allowed pride to enter into our hearts. If there's anything I can tell you today that I know is true, that is true, that is true, is that pride and worship will not coincide. 
Right? We know this is true because there's another thing we can learn from heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 7 with me, please. It says, All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And what did they do? They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. In fact, if you read it, what happens is, is they continually fall down, get up, fall down, get up, fall down, get up. And the reason is, is because they understand the true meaning of worship. And that is this. Worship means actually to stoop down or to make oneself low, to bow down as an act of submission and reverence. How many of you guys know that that, is, that that requires a key thing? It requires humility. Yes? See, see, the word worship is actually the Greek word proskuneo, and I love what it means. It actually means to bow down and to kiss. There's an intimacy involved, right? To bow down and to kiss. That's why the Bible repeats verses like these. Look at Psalm 95, please. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 99 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool. He is holy. Go all the way to Matthew chapter 2 after the birth of Jesus. Fast forward a few years. He's still a small child. We find that the wise men come and it says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Fast forward to Matthew 28. Here's the resurrected Christ. And it says, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Listen, I don't know what runs to your mind when you read those verses, but the thing that sticks out to me is this, is that it's really easy to see how pride can hinder us from becoming the type of worshiper that God calls us to be. In fact, listen to what one author said, and I think this is really, really good. He said this. Listen to what this author said. He said, no doubt a major problem that debilitates our worship is pride. Pride is probably the greatest hindrance to worship. Pride has ruined far more worship services than all the forces of hell combined. Let that sink below skin deep. It is pride that gravitates toward conservative, low-key worship because the ego is never fed by all-out worship. It is pride that restrains us from lifting our voices without fear in the congregation. Pride will rob us of the joy and release that comes when we dance or lift our hands or bow in the presence of the Lord. Pride will incarcerate us in a self-conscious prison of spiritual bondage. Pride comes up with excuses such as, well, that's just not my style of praise. And pride never takes the blame or acknowledgement or acknowledges the fault. The very essence of worship is self-embasement and humility. Worship is the humbling of self and exalting of God. Why? Once again, because we know His worth is far greater than ours. Goes on to say, we have developed the remarkable ability, however, to worship the Lord without sacrificing our own sophistication. Pride is highly susceptible to peer pressure in worship. We tend to be more concerned about the opinions of others than we are about the Lord's opinion. Once again, guys, I want to repeat, one of the greatest hindrances we face in becoming and maintaining the heart of a true worshiper is pride. If I can bring up a certain portion of Scripture I haven't brought up today so far, 
But there's a scripture about King David, and there came a time where he knew that he needed to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And he was looking for a place to basically to do the sacrifice, and there was a plot of land that he wanted, and, uh, and he went to that place, and the guy recognized, this is our king. He said, King, I will give you this land so you can make the sacrifice. And David said, no, 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 no. You're not going to give it to me. I'm going to buy it. And he said this powerful statement. He said, I will not offer the Lord something if uh, basically I will not offer the Lord worship that costs me nothing. And so I just think it's this, man. If you come and you go and you think that you're really going to worship God, if I think I'm really going to worship God and it's not going to cost me something in this flesh, man, I'm, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. Yes? So the third thing God's looking for us to be is the type of worshiper who has a heart of humility. See, the key thing about humility is it actually frees us from seeking man's approval. In fact, I'll tell you this. There's this verse that keeps me really grounded in this. Everybody listen here, please. Galatians 1.10 says this. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful verse. It says, if I seek the approval of man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Do you understand that the moment that you start leaning to serving other people is the moment you step away from really serving God. The moment that you step to please people is the moment you really step away from pleasing Him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. Amen? Amen. So listen, for our last point, so our fourth point, uh, basically I want to I talk about once more time a really important thing if we're going to really be worshipers. And to do this, this is huge, okay? Uh, I want us to actually look into the life of Job and learn something about worship from this guy. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you, you know about Job, you know his story. If you don't, I would encourage you to read it. Uh, just flip through the Bible, find the book that says Job, you've landed in the right address. <laughs> And, and basically, that's the book to read. But in, in Job or in Job chapter 1, uh, the Bible tells us that literally in one day that all of Job's oxen and donkeys were stolen. It says his sheep were destroyed, his camels were carried off, his servants were slain, and then his sons and his daughters were all killed when a house collapsed on them. It's a bad day. So listen, in that single day, Job lost literally everything he valued except one thing, and that was his wife that became bitter towards God. Lucky him. Watch this. But in spite of this tragedy, once again, what can we learn from him? I want you to see Job's response. It says this in chapter 1, verse 20. It says, at this, at what? At everything that just happened earlier that day. It says, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. In other words, he mourned. And then he fell to the ground. And what did he do? He worshiped fell to the ground in worship. Now listen, I think all of us can agree, and I'm telling you, this is something that's so huge if we're going to be worshipers. But I think we can agree all in this moment that guess what? That Job wasn't responding to the Holy Ghost goosebumps. Woo! Right? That Job didn't come to church and went, oh, they're playing my favorite song today. I can sing to this one. He didn't, he didn't say, you know what? Oh, man. There's been people here worshiping for hours. The atmosphere is right. Oh, now I can enter in. He, you know, he, he, wasn't, he didn't depend on all those things so often that we look for and we determine if we worship based off on or not. The, quite the opposite was happening, right? Literally, he was at the lowest emotional point. He was in a pit, right? The pit of despair, and he had never been there like that in his entire life. But he didn't get angry with God. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't pout. He didn't throw a fit. The Bible says simply, regardless of his feelings, he fell prostrate in worship, affirming God's ultimate sovereignty in his life. 
If you fast forward, his friends came and basically tried to tell him he was in sin and tried to dog him. Everybody that was a support system slammed him. And he said what? I'm going to continue to worship. You see, Matt Redman said this, and I think it captures the heart of what Job got that so many of us need to grab a hold of. It says, the heart of God loves a persevering worshiper who, though overwhelmed by many troubles, is overwhelmed even more by the beauty of God. See, here's the point that I'm hoping all of us will grab a hold of today. Is that true worshipers don't allow their emotions or their feelings or their situations to determine the level of their worship. In other words, if we remember, we worship because He is worthy. Right? We worship because of His worth. And the bottom line is our moods, our emotions, our preference, our circumstances, our despair, guess what, does not change and will never change His worth. Guys, I'm not saying it won't be difficult, but I'm saying we can't just stop worshiping. Right? So listen, the fourth thing God is looking for in us is that we'd be the type of worshiper who isn't led by our emotions. If I can give you one more Matt Redmond quote, he said, We can always find a reason to praise. Isn't that true? Come on, church. Isn't that true? Listen to me. In our darkest days, if we would take our eyes off of everything that's going wrong and we could fix our eyes and go, Lord, what can I be grateful about? If you're saved, that's enough. Amen? So we can always find a reason to praise. Situations change for better or for worse, but God's worth never changes. So once again, he's looking for worshipers who aren't led by their emotions. And the bottom line is, once again, we know God's greater than what we feel, okay? So let me say this, though, to you guys, okay? Because I, I think today, if we're in the low spot or if we're willing to look back at other low spots we've been in, the reality is if we would look to Jesus, we would find that there's something there that he's wanting to teach us, okay? And, and I want to give you an example quickly just to kind of give you a thought of something that maybe you can take away from whatever situation you're in, okay? And, and it may be uh, exciting to you. It may not be exciting to you, but there's a reality in it. When we get done, I'm going to tell you the reality of it. But I read this from a guy named David Ravenhill, and this is about his father, Leonard. He said this, David told my father, he said, before I reached my teens, my dad, Leonard, began traveling from England to the United States. He'd be away from home for weeks, if not months at a time. In the early 1950s, he was asked to minister for A.W. Tozer, who was pastoring in Chicago at the time. In the middle of the night, the fire alarms went off in the hotel where my father was staying. My father opened his door and he found the hallway filled with smoke. There was no way of escape. He closed the door and he went to a window. He was on the third or fourth floor. It says he opened the window and proceeded to jump down to save his life, right? It says, on the way down, God gave him a verse. You shall die, you shall not die. Let me, that would be bad, right? <laughs> you shall not die, but live and declare the glory of God. In other words, it was Psalm 188, verse 17. Seconds later, Leonard hit the ground, smashed his feet. He broke one leg in three places, broke his other leg in two places, broke his back in several places. So after laying there for a while, because this was in the great Chicago fire, so, so there were loads of people needing to be rescued. Basically what happened is after laying there for a while, he was taken to the hospital where he was left unattended in the hallway. He was basically laying on a, on a gurney, a sheet basically covering his body. And he says this, a little while later, Leonard heard two of the doctors saying, leave him, he's going to die. He said, my father had just enough strength to pull aside the sheet and say, are you talking about me? I love that. <laughs> says he was 44 years of age at the time. He didn't die until he was 87. But watch this. Here's why I'm reading this. 
While in the hospital, my father was placed in a full body cast from his chin to his toes. How many of you guys know that qualifies as not a fun situation? I believe he was in that for a year. Okay? So one day, he found himself complaining a little. He said, Lord, you have just begun to open doors for ministry, but now what good am I? I can't preach. I can't even read my Bible. He was sort of having a little bit of a pity party when he heard the Spirit of God say this, and this is what I want to tell you. God told him in that moment, stuck, frozen, can't move, feeling sorry for himself, God said this, you can learn to worship. You can learn to worship. Listen, I'm not going to sit here today and pretend that I know your situation. The reality is, as I realize, we all come in here and we slap each other, high five, we pat each other back, we give a hug. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. And, and we all go about our way. But the reality is, man, is we all have our difficulties. We all have our challenges, right? There's a real devil who hates us. And, and the bottom line is we all have family, we all have friends, and everything doesn't always go well, right? We live in a fallen world is what I'm saying. And so, listen, I just think if I could encourage you with anything, man, after walking with Jesus for 20 plus years, like Job, I have learned literally from my own experience that there isn't a single amount of pain, betrayal, sickness, trial, temptation, or wilderness that we can't worship our way through. Yeah? Years ago, I was in a, in a terrible spot, okay? And this is before I moved here. I, was in, I wasn't in a good spot mentally and emotionally. And I remember one night I got a text from Britt Hancock. This is where I learned this. I was, I was in the ditch struggling, struggling, struggling. And he simply said this, tonight I was at church and there's this long text, boom, boom, boom. I just feel like I need to tell you these things. Boom, 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 boom. And got to the end. He said this, quit remember, there's nothing that you can't worship your way through. And man, when I heard that, it was such a freeing thing. And the reason is, is because once again, it's a reminder, if I take my eyes off the issues of everything that I'm struggling with this moment, and I fix my eyes on Jesus, man, He can really turn it around. And I want you to know the reality is, is in 20 plus years of walking with Jesus, I have yet to run into a problem that Jesus can't fix. The problem we run into so often is, is we try to run other places and get other people to fix it, or we try to fix it ourselves. And that's either putting more trust and putting more worth and more value in somebody else, or that's having a prideful heart thinking that we can do it. But the reality is, is when you're a true worshiper, guess what? You lay down all those things and you go look to the one who is the answer. Am I making sense to y'all today? Yeah. So listen, this is my hope. We're laying this here. My hope is simply this, is that today as you heard what I'm talking about, I know it's, once again, not rocket science what we're talking about. It's not a rah-rah-re message. But, but simply this, my hope is, is that you would catch a glimpse of what it means to be a true worshiper, right? That you would catch a glimpse of the heart that God wants you to have when you come and worship Him. And I will repeat these things, that He wants you to come and to delight in Him. Man, we live in a world that wants us to delight in a thousand things. Okay, we delight in sports, we delight in our cars, we delight in our house, we delight in a bunch of junk that will perish. But He will not perish. So God gives us a heart that delights in you, right? That He wants us to come and to remember His value and His worth. That understand that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? That He wants us to come to Him and stay humble, knowing that this, that we live in a position of God, we got to have you. Right? And that we lastly, that we come and we say, you know what, I'm not going to let my emotions determine how I interact with God. The bottom line, He's God, I'm not, 
and I'm just going to stay at his feet. Hopefully this helps you today. Listen, I just think if, if I could say one last thing, man, you got to remember that the throne room of God, let me back up. Let me say this first. The things we're talking about today, the reality is, is y'all look here, please. Everybody look at me. Is you can't learn this in a book. You can't learn it from a sermon. I could sit up here and preach this every week and you're not going to learn it. The only place that you can learn how to be a true worshiper is in the secret place with God. And so if you don't take what we're talking about today and go get with yourself in Jesus and learn how to engage your heart with Him, you'll never become a worshiper. I can want it for you as much as anything, but unless you want it for yourself, once again, it's not going to happen. See, what happens is, and we're talking about culture here, if I can land on that, is what happens on Sundays is everybody that comes in this building, you bring your own personal walk with Jesus in this room. And what happens is, is it begins to multiply with everybody else's hunger and everybody else's love for Jesus. And then that's why we get to encounter such awesome things with Jesus. But the key part is, is that we don't wait till Sunday to worship because true worshipers don't wait till Sunday to sing a song to Jesus. True worshipers serve Him every day. And yes, it happens beyond a song, I get that. But, but at the end of the day, there should be a response. There should be, let me, let me say it this way, Sunday should be an overflow of what's happening. And when we begin to overflow, man, God will do incredible things. Here's the reality. I've been in places where worship is free and people are unhindered and they love Jesus. And I'm telling you, before a preacher ever touches a mic, people get saved, people get healed, people get delivered. Why? Because when God shows up, those things that we sing about, like the first song we sang today, literally begins to happen without anybody initiating it. God just moves. You know, and if we want to be a church where there's an atmosphere of heaven, then guys, we got to let our hearts gravitate to expression of worship that we freely give Him once again because He's worth it. Am I making sense? Awesome. Can you stand to your feet? Jesus, we turn our hearts to You. Lord, and we're simply asking today, God, that You would forgive us for the times, God, where we have allowed ourselves to delight in many other things except You. Father, we choose in this moment to simply ask you, God, will you allow the wonder and the awe, God, of who you are to return to our hearts again? Father, I pray, God, that if we have treated you like common, if we've come and just went through an obligation, God, that once again we would learn to delight in you, that we would look at you in the eyes and we say, Jesus, we can't get enough of who you are. God, that our hearts, God, are so grateful and so in love with who you are, God, that we can't help but to express, we can't help but to splash out and to overflow what's in our heart out to you. And Father, we're asking today, God, that just as a church body that we begin to remember your worth. God, we realize that we are sons and daughters and you've given us a place at your table. But God, as we have a place at your table, you're still our king. And God, I pray that we would recognize that you are the king of glory. And God, as the king, God, you are the one that determines how you want to be worshipped. You are the one that determines how you want to be praised. You are the one that determines how you want to be loved. And Father, I pray that that pride inside of us that wants to to do it our way would die, God, and we would begin to grab a hold of your word and your truth and your revelation and your heart, and we would begin to worship you in a way that pleases you. And so, Father, would you come and would you begin to seal in our own hearts? God, we're simply asking, God, if you are a God at this moment, that's like it says in John 4, that's looking for those who worship you in spirit and truth. God, we say to you today, we want to be that kind of people, God, who worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we want there to be an authenticity about us in our hearts. 
heart. We want to have genuine worship. We want to be real. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be fake. We just want to be the real deal because you're real. We want to be real. So Lord, whatever you got to do to strip off anything that's holding us back, that's hindering us from operating and living like that, as true worshipers, Lord, we give you permission to do it today. And Jesus, we simply say that we honor you, that you are worthy of all glory, that you all are worthy of all honor. God, that you are worthy of all praise. Lord, our hearts are to exalt you and to love you, God, above all else in this world. God, help us to live like this. We simply ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.